know what you're thinking. How the heck does a 52-year-old, over-the-hill, milkshake machine salesman build a fast food empire with 1,600 restaurants and an annual revenue of $700 million? One word. Persistence. Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Film Coterie. I'm Roger Legg. I'm Adam Barney. And I'm Matt Upton. Hey, and this is our first ever episode. It's pretty exciting. And you might be asking yourself right now, what is The Film Coterie? Uh, it's a movie podcast. Like, we need another movie podcast, right? And it might very well be the last podcast ever created. <laughs> I think we're about 10 years behind on this curve. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, we thought we'd just take a minute and we would introduce ourselves to you. Um, how are we going to do that? We just go flip a coin and see who gets to do, introduce who? Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Okay, who has a coin? Does anyone carry cash anymore? <laughs> or change? You want to flip a credit card? Wait, wait, wait. Oh. I have a quarter here. Okay. So, uh, Adam, you get to go first. Heads, it's me, and tails, it's Matt. Flip it. Okay. So I get the privilege of coming up with the first custom intro for my friend, Matt. <laughs> he already looks terrified. I am. I am. Uh, Matt, when it comes to film, much like me, likes the weird stuff. Um, just the other day, we were talking Beyond the Black Rainbow. Um, some other films that fall outside of the common fringes of mainstream film. And I know he's one person that if I say, you got to check out this movie, he will actually go and check out that movie. A lot of my pleas fall on deaf ears with my other friends. Uh, Matt is a newer dad. Yeah. Okay. That's fair to say. And one kid, uh, your kid is a film buff already. Uh, yes. He, he likes the war genre. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would concur with that statement. What cracks me up about Matt's son is that I showed him a trailer for Valerian maybe two months ago. And the last two times I've come over to your house, your son runs up to me and says, what's going on with Valerian? I don't even know how I remembered that name. You got me on that one. <laughs> uh, Matt has some funny guilty pleasure movies. Um, he once made us come over to his house and watch them. You want to share those titles with us? Um, well, only one of them was mine, uh, but it was my number one guilty pleasure movie, and I subjected everyone that came over to The Cutting Edge. Why? Is that a guilty pleasure of yours? I don't even know if I can really explain it. Uh, hockey. It involves hockey, partial blindness, um, <laughs> toe picks, um, and figure skating. Yeah. It's all wrapped up in there. Fair enough. So weird movie fanatic check one, we father. Father, <laughs> awesome! I love it. And that is Matthew Upton. <laughs> All right, let's flip the coin. And uh, Matt, you get heads, you get me, tails, you get Adam. 
Heads is you, Roger. Unfortunately. Why unfortunately? <laughs> All right, so I get to do the second ever introduction. Um, Roger uh, has been a friend of mine for a number of years. Uh, Roger is the proud father of teenagers, plural. God, God help me. Three of them, two boys and a girl. Yes. Um, the boys are older, so maybe they get to protect the girl a little bit. Take some of that pressure off Roger. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's married to a wonderful woman um, who I am also friends with. Um, as far as movies go, uh, Roger pretty much will see anything unless it involves horror. Yes. Uh, if it's horror genre, um, I have been, I've never seen one with him personally. Uh, but I have been warned uh, that one must wear headphones because he screams like a teenage girl. And I'm just going to jump in here, Roger. Over the course of this podcast, I'm going to get you good with the selection. <laughs> now, just don't go into my witch story, please, because, you know, that's quite embarrassing. Uh, I don't know the witch story. I'm really interested to hear it now. Um, well, uh, just, okay, just here's the 10-second clip. It was consumed over two days in the, in the middle of the afternoon with the lights on and with the ability, me, ability for me to cover my ears at any moment if the sound got too intense. Wow. Um, all right. I mean, my wife won't watch horror movies before she goes to bed, but she will watch them in complete like, darkness and not do anything. But I've heard you scream. I want to watch a horror movie with you. I want to hear you scream. Oh, man. Yeah, so let's... Yeah. Uh, and I also know Roger is a buff of older movies. So, you know, pretty much upon the invention of the motion picture camera <laughs> to about 10 years after is about his wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, man. At, at least that's what I think when he starts mentioning names of movies and I go look them up and I realize that they were made before my parents were born. Yeah, uh, one of the thing, one of the things you'll see real quickly in 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 the film coterie is we have a little segment coming up later called movie homework and uh that's where we each randomly through draw assign a person uh, a movie that we want them to watch to broaden their film, you know, uh knowledge and their film repertoire as it is. And so <laughs> quite often the movies, of course the movies we pick reflect our taste and interest and personality and uh yeah uh you'll s just just hang in for a little bit later in the show some good stuff to come there and uh so i'm am i left with matt return the favor Wait, no you no you have Adam. you have the oh, distinct good. privilege yeah distinct privilege of doing my intro now now i'm just going to cut to the chase right now with adam adam you're going to find out in a heartbeat is the only person that even has the remote outside chance to be called a film expert on this podcast that's still a stretch but i'll take it <laughs> the, the the adam is a uh, huge and i mean huge movie i thought i was a movie buff I, i've met two i know two, i have two friends that are in the upper echelon of movie fans, and Adam is one of them. And when I say that, it's nothing for Adam to see like 200 movies in a year at the theater, right? And so he goes to festivals and all this stuff, and he knows way more knowledge. I would like to step in here if I can. <laughs> As someone that has personal knowledge of Adam, um, 
whenever anyone brings up someone as an expert, I think there needs to be an attestation, if you will, of their prowess. Um, so me and Adam uh, have attended numerous Comic-Cons together. We went to a horror movie panel. Or not a horror movie panel, but we went to a panel with directors of horror movies. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> it was a uh, panel on sort of the new and upcoming horror studios. Right. Um, so at the end of the panel, they had they asked the crowd, anyone here want to come up on stage and do trivia? Oh, boy. <laughs> My friend Adam was selected from the crowd to go up on stage. Uh, I'm not going to lie and say he was the best on the stage because there was a guy who was kind of hooked into the industry and it really wasn't fair. But my friend did win a prize. I did. I, I came in second. He came in second and won a prize. Uh, so I can attest that he does have a considerable film knowledge. And, and you know, I was going to, Matt, Matt got to the point I was going to make as well. We each kind of have genres that we really kind of lean toward, and Adam's genre. I think it's it's safe to say his favorite genre is horror films. That's correct. And so, um, you know, one, one thing, I guess maybe I'm more north and south pole here between he and I. So what I lack in horror knowledge and films, Adam greatly makes up for it. And he's just overall good guy. You know, both these guys, Matt and Adam, when I, when I broached the subject to them a couple months ago, I said, man, let's just do a movie podcast. And they're like, well, you know, everybody does a movie podcast, so there's hundreds of them out there. And we thought, but you know what? No, we, they won't do one like us, right? And so I'm very excited for you guys to get to know us over the weeks to come and as we do these episodes. And um, we'll have a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes and uh, letting you know about our website and our Twitter and all those good things. But that's us, Matt, Adam, and Roger. And we are excited uh, to come to you as as we are able to to talk about movies uh anything else in introductions you guys want to talk about or anything else uh i mean just briefly we we're just starting out this is episode one um we have no sponsors and i think for now that's a good thing so if you hear us talking about a service online or a place to go see movies we're doing it because that's what we actually do we we pay out of our pocket for the movies we see we subscribe to the various streaming services so right now we're not hawking any products at you, but you know, in the future, if anyone Hopefully wants to change. sponsor us, you know, that's a possibility too, but we'll always disclose that. Absolutely. And, and as a part of this inaugural episode, we're just going to kind of let you guys see how the, uh, how the sausage is made behind the scenes here. Um, our next, our next segment every week as a group or as often as we can, we go on Thursday nights to the movies. And so this, this is Thursday night, uh, January the 19th. And we, course went to the movies and so we we're going to have a segment called our thursday night movie review and so as soon as we come back after the music you're going to find out what we uh Welcome back, and you're listening to the Film Coterie Thursday Night Movie Review Time. And so we, um, 
This Thursday, the gang went and saw uh, the founder, the story of Ray Kroc, a salesman who turned two brothers' fast food eatery, McDonald's, into one of the biggest restaurant businesses in the world. It is directed by John Lee Hancock, who did The Blind Side, uh, 2009, and Snow White and the Huntsman, 2013. And it stars, well, basically Michael Keaton. He's the lead actor playing Ray Kroc. Um, of course, you know Michael Keaton from Spotlight to The Birdman, Beetlejuice, Batman. He goes way, way, way back, all the way to Night Shift, I guess. But uh, So the founder, guys, what did you, <laughs> just kind of what's your instant impression? We literally just drove over from the movie theater after seeing this movie. So what's your instant impression? Meh. <laughs> uh, I mean, all right. So it's good. There's not a lot of room in the story. The story is what it is. Not a lot of freedom to write that. Um I think it was probably done to let Michael Keaton show off a little bit. I think it was good in it. I think it was real good. Um, but the story is what it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, and I'll jump in here. I mean, it, it feels like a well-worn path. Sure, Adam. When yeah. that movie starts, you know where it's going to go. There's no deviations. Um, this is a story. The preview sets it all out. Um, you know from the start he's going to take over McDonald's. Um, there's no surprises. It's just sort of a trod from start to finish. Um, limited locations, too. I, I find that a little odd in the movie. You know, you see the same McDonald's. I mean, they all look the same, but it really did feel like the same parking lot over and yeah, over and, and they just, and over again. They put a splash title up. Hey, we're now in Topeka, Kansas. Hey, we're now in Illinois. Hey, we're now in Ohio. That's the same same place over and over. Well, I mean, wasn't that kind of the idea, yeah. though? I mean, that was Ray's whole thing is these things must be identical, look alike, and that's what gave McDonald's its success, that kind of control. Sure. And I think it may have – I mean, for it very well may have been the same McDonald's, and it may have actually been intentional to kind of give that feel of the movie that these are just literally cookie cutters. You take one, here's another one in another city, here's another one in another city – no, I, you know, Matt, I think you're right, but I guess maybe I'm a little warmer on this movie than the two of you, just as an initial... I mean, I, I actually chuckled out loud two or three times. I mean, I found some of the stuff very funny. I thought Michael Keaton was... It was a platform built perfectly for his personality type, you know. Um, his career, you know, when I began to do the research for this movie leading up to it, <clears throat> I was really surprised. I thought, like, Michael Keaton, since the, like, early 90s, had disappeared off the planet... And then he came back, and before you know it, he's doing Birdman and Spotlight, and he's on the standing on the stage at the end of the Oscars two years in a row. And I thought, wow, what a resurgence, you know. And but no, this guy's worked steadily, you know, every couple of years since Night Shift, right? And so, um, but this, I don't know, I just loved his performance. Yeah, it, it's kind of for me, it was kind of like the Titanic. You know where it's going, you know how it's going to end, you know he's going to take over. But what a ride! I I really I really liked the movie. I had a real positive. Even though he's such a rascal, you know, daggone it, I wanted to hit him at the end of the movie, but I thought, isn't that what a movie's supposed to do, engage you a little bit, at least emotionally, you know? While we're talking about acting, too, we have to give some props to Nick Offerman, who played Dick McDonald. Oh, I mean, yes. he almost steals every scene he's in, just his presence, and uh, there's some good delivery from him in this movie. No, there, there really is. Yeah, yeah, I think every scene he was in, um, it was, I was just watching his eyebrows, if that makes sense. His eyes and the expression that was coming across, he'd be on a telephone call. 
and acting out whatever you know Michael Keaton's character was saying on the other end, and his he was you could see the anger in his brow. There's just a building fury behind his short little tie. Yeah, there, and it was a short little tie. Absolutely. So, so all in all, I, you know, I, I liked the movie. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Did music stand out to you guys at all? I was actually going to bring this up. I mean, I listened a little bit. I mean, it didn't stand out to me a lot, but when I was paying attention to it, it just sort of sounded like a Lifetime movie. There's yeah, a piano a... piece they played in the bank, and it, it just felt kind of television music. Yeah, I, it, that, that was my observation, too. I, if there one thing I was really meh about with the movie, and Lim did a little bit, was... The music just didn't seem to be that great, you know. And they even tried to do a musical number in the middle of the movie, and it just kind of two things. There were two things that stuck out to me that I thought I don't know about this. Was the the musical number? Musical numbers are really hard to pull off, in my opinion, on film and really hit home. And this one just kind of it seemed almost forced. Okay, I'm gonna walk up and tickle a few keys on the piano, make eyes at this girl, and I don't know. I, I just didn't resonate with me at all. Um, the other scene that really when they went to him standing in the dirt for the second time and reaching down and scooping the dirt, I kind of thought, oh, we were overplaying our hand a little bit here with this scene in the movie. The the writing is definitely a little heavy and overwritten. Um, They were showing you that the dirt has now changed its meaning to him. Yeah, yeah. And the part that that got me was just the, his uh, heartbreak speech that contracts are like hearts. They're meant to be broken. And guess what immediately follows that scene? Yeah. The divorce with his wife. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you were mentioning, you know, the like the emotional pull that you didn't like Ray at the end of the movie. And to me, it's they failed on both ends of it. Right. So in the beginning of the movie, they show Ray going around trying to hawk this his milk make milkshake machine. Right. And showing that he's a you know, go-getter down on his luck, a, a salesman that's tried everything. You know, we've seen that that trope, I guess, in a million things. I mean, r- true story. I mean, it is what it is. But when they were trying to connect you with him, um, it just never worked for me, I guess, because I already knew the end from the beginning. Right. Right. I knew what he was going to do, so I could never connect to that character. So when he had the switch and you know, turned heel, if you will, it never, it never just resonated with me. And we agree, right? The switch really happened in the steakhouse. Oh, absolutely. That was where the movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shifted. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had some thoughts on that. I, I mean, we know how it turns out, but I would have been more interested had they built in some more flaws to his character from the beginning. You know, he's a traveling salesman. If they showed us ripping off an old lady, that he's doing a sale, writing himself a check or something from her checkbook. That, yeah, yeah. I think they would have been better off kind of setting him up a little earlier for that, that turn. What about the role of alcohol, though? They tried to portray alcohol's influence in his... At least it's almost like every time you see him, he's either pouring a drink, taking a drink, or looking for a drink. Oh, yeah. The second he's in the door at home, it's right to the liquor cabinet. And he carries the flask around yeah. with him, and they make it a point to show, oh, he didn't make a sale or something went wrong, and out pops the flask, and I, you know, take a drink. And, and so that is that a message to us, or is that just typical of a salesman in the 50s and 60s? Well, I mean, I will say that Ray Kroc... Um, I mean, his foundation did support the research and treatment of alcoholism and diabetes. Was that him or his wife? Um, well, that's the foundation. I'm assuming that his wife probably set that up. Right. Um, another question I have for you guys that I, I thought about, 
who's the target audience for this film? Because I say this, you know, between the three of us, there's a slight age gap between us a little bit, you know. Um, but, and I seem to be a little bit warmer and I'm a little bit older. I don't know. Do you think this, <clears throat> is this a film targeted for the over 50 crowd or, <clears throat> excuse me, what do you guys think? Or do you think it's meant to appeal to everybody? Because, because my next question is, if I just looked at you and said, would you recommend this film to your friends? No, I, I wouldn't recommend it to my friends. I don't think they'd be too interested in it. Um, it might have some more appeal to the people that were older at the time the McDonald's started popping up everywhere. Because it was certainly a novelty when it just started springing up across the country. Right. And it might be a nice throwback to that era. Well, well you know, Adam, I think that for me, I think I'm going to recommend the film. You know, if my parents called and said, hey, should we go see this? I said, yeah, I think you guys would enjoy this, you know. Because I'm looking at my friends and... You know, a lot of my friends are in their 50s and, 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 you know, even a little older. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, that this movie might appeal to them. I don't know. You know, whereas if I had my friends that are in their 30s, I would not recommend this film to them, you know. So I don't know if it's if it's meant to target that older audience intentionally or not, you know. And along with that audience, I think they missed a, <clears throat> an easy home run is they, for the soundtrack. They should have just done music from that era because McDonald's I, is food you eat in your car. I totally agree. I totally agree. Right, but if you think back about how the music of the time was was used in the movie, because there were a couple scenes where Ray walks up to a McDonald's, they're playing that rock and roll, and it's with disdain because he viewed that the teenage loitering around McDonald's as a bad element. And anytime they were showing a bad franchisee, it was always... Teenagers around, rock and roll music playing. I don't yeah. know how you guys grew up. I grew up in the sticks in West Virginia. Um, and on weekends, we would cruise McDonald's. Because oh, that's absolutely. where everyone met up in my entire hometown because it was pretty much the only place that was still open on the weekends. Yeah. And we'd all meet up in the McDonald's parking lot. That is... What they view as distasteful about McDonald's are my fondest memories from high school of meeting my friends before we yeah. go out and get into trouble. Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly. Now, now, one thing I will say that they totally nailed, in my opinion, is the contrast between how McDonald's did food and everybody else did food. T to me, I thought that was a really good uh, play to show how, uh, you know, you don't realize we take, you know, we, we grew up in the fast food era, so we take for granted our food better be ready in 30 seconds or less, right? And it was commonplace for you to wait 20 minutes for food to come to you, and then it was quite often wrong. And you know, so I thought they did a really good job of showing the contrast between between the two. Well, with the food thing, I also thought it was outstanding when Ray Kroc and Dick McDonald are on the phone, and Ray is wanting to switch over to oh, yeah. powdered milkshakes. <laughs> oh and yeah. And Dick's like, "Well, what do you want us to do next? Put sawdust." sawdust in our hamburgers and have frozen french fries as a hot you know essentially it made me think if the mcdonald's brothers would have kept this and ran it like they wanted mcdonald's probably wouldn't be serving what they serve today i don't want to say that it's poison but it's poison yeah absolutely and you know i, I had to laugh i thought when you know because they tried to do a movie theater in the beginning and it was 1929 and since they opened the depression hit and it was like you know they lost it and i thought to myself what would the movies be like if there wouldn't have been a you know if they'd actually stuck out it with their model 
you know, would they have been successful or not? But they definitely hit a home run with the uh, the hamburger business. And actually, my favorite scene of the whole movie is on a tennis court. Yes. Um, they uh, they sort of crack the code for how the restaurant's going to work by drawing with chalk on a tennis court and figuring out the precise placement of all the stations, how the workers are going to move about in their ballet of making fast food, and it's a great scene. It's brilliant. It's a built-in blueprint already with the, t the lines on the tennis court, you know? Well, I know both of you guys have seen Mozart in the Jungle, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when, when Dick McDonald gets up on top of, and for those of you that haven't, it's about a conductor of a symphony. But, but Dick McDonald gets up on a ladder and all these people are moving and he is literally conducting. He is envisioning how this organism of a uh, kitchen should work. And when it finally works out right, it is, I mean, he's just overjoyed and is screaming and yes, you know, yeah. condiments and fries and, you know, whatever it may be. And it, it is, I think it is by far the best scene. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, any final thoughts on the founder? At uh, at the end of the movie, they show you some video footage of the real Ray Kroc. I may have left that out if I were them because it made me think, huh, Michael Keaton really didn't sound like him. And during the movie, I actually closed my eyes at one point because I thought he really sounds like Jack Nicholson. And that's all I could hear after I kind of made that oh, connection. wow, wow. Okay, so let me hear it. Uh, the founder, recommended or not? Uh, I can't recommend it. It's fine. I wouldn't be mad if I watched it on Netflix. Um, I would actually tell people to check it out on Netflix if there's nothing else on. I mean, it's, it's perfectly fine, but I'm not going to go out of my way to recommend this movie to anyone. Um, I think if you like Michael Keaton, um, you know, if, if you are a fan of his, I think he does a good job in this film. Um, but as far as a film as a whole... Unless you like Michael Keaton, I probably wouldn't go check it out. Okay. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to recommend it. I liked Michael Keaton a lot. I liked the performance. I was engaged. I, I don't, can't tell you the last time I chuckled or laughed out loud three times in a movie. So for me, yeah, it's, it's a, I'm going to recommend it. Um, so, yeah, there we are. All right. I'm very excited because when we come back, we're going to do our 2016 Top 10 Films. And uh, very excited about that. You are listening to the Film Coterie. We'll be right back after the music.
welcome back uh, to the Film Coterie. Um, next up, what kind of film reviewing podcast thing that we're doing would we be if, of course, we did not do the obligatory top 10 movies of last year being 2016? So with the top 10s, what we're going to do is each of us uh, have our top 10 movies. Um, some of us have seen a lot more movies than others. Um, <laughs> no names, Adam. <coughs> All right. Uh, some of us have crammed for this, i.e. me, uh, and have probably watched 10 films over the past two days. I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. When I start making this list... I was hard-pressed to get 10 films that I really, really liked on my list just because I had not seen, I'd seen maybe 25 films and or 20 films, and I was like, ah, it didn't feel like it was a top 10 movie, but I'm very happy with my list. Well, that's when we first started this idea, I looked around and said, oh no, I'm going to have to put Gods of Egypt in my top 10 <laughs> list. And it was at that point that I said, man, I need to watch some more movies. I'm really glad you did, because... I don't know they want to be associated with a podcast that has Gods of Egypt in anyone's top ten. I completely understand. So, for criteria on what we did with the movies. So, there has been much contention over what it means to be a movie in 2016. I've, so, what we decided was, if it was released in the U.S. in 2016... Limited or wide. Yeah, limited or wide... Uh, then it would count as a 2016 movie. So if it went to film festivals in 2015, still eligible if it was released limited or wide in 2016. What we're going to do is go around. Uh, we're going to start with Adam, uh, and we're going to do just work our way from 10 to 1. We'll go around everyone's 10, everyone's 9, so forth and so on, and just talk a little bit about uh, each of the movies and why we put them on the list. So without further ado, um, Adam, what is your number 10 movie of 2016? My number 10 movie is Sing Street. Um, I did not get the chance to catch this in theaters, so I caught it at home, and I love this movie. Um, it's John Carney. Uh, I've really enjoyed everything he's done, starting with Once and then Begin Again. Uh, Sing Street, it takes us to mid-'80s Dublin, and it's just a nice little story about a, a boy making a band to get the girl of his dreams. A new wave music um, mixed with some of the band's own creations from the movie. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much of this movie, but it's, it's just a fun ride. Um, I think it's really the only good, feel-good movie on my whole list. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly Street. agree. Yeah, the music in it's just great. I, I, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s, and that was my formidable years, and Sing, Sing Street was just, I loved it, great movie. All right, so Sing Street, number 10 for Adam. Um, Roger, what's your number 10 movie? Okay, my number 10 movie is a documentary, and uh, this snuck up on me. I actually just saw this documentary um, about two weeks ago. I did not catch it in the theater. It was limited release in the theater. Um, but the theme of this movie really hits home with me in a really big way. Um, very emotional movie for me to watch, uh, and that is Life Animated. And uh, Life Animated is the story of Owen Suskind. He's an autistic uh, young man who's 23 years old, and it's his coming-of-age story. His dad 
is really famous in the autism community because he's a uh, famous screenwriter or a um, newspaper guy, a magazine writer, journalist. That, that was the word I was looking for, a journalist. And uh, Owen uh, developed typically till age three and then just stopped talking completely and crawled back into the shell of autism. And his parents were devastated and, and they began to journal, video, journal, write about it and all this stuff. And it was 18 months later, he had not spoken a word, and his dad went up to tuck him in. And, and Owen and his older brother were fascinated with Disney movies. And so they would watch Disney movies all the time. And so uh, he was tucking Owen in. Now, he had not spoken in like 18 months. He's tucking him in. And uh, he, uh, uh, Owen had a, a Yago puppet there on the bed from... Um, the movie The Little Mermaid, you know, the, ah, the Gilbert Gottfried character, you know. And uh, for some reason, he felt inspired. He picked up this Muppet character, the puppet, and he put it on his hand. And he's like, how are you doing tonight, Owen? And Owen, for the first time in 18 months, said, I'm doing okay. And resp responded with a movie line and engaged his dad for the very first time in 18 months. And they realized if they could communicate through Disney dialogue, their son would communicate back to them. And so he began this, they began this journey of talking Disney movie lines to him over and over and over, and he eventually came out of his shell and developed. And the movie, the heart of the movie is, is now Owen's 23 years old, and he's about to move into his own place. He has a girlfriend, you know, and then his girlfriend breaks up with him. And, and it's really kind of a, a, as much a coming-of-age story as it is a story about overcoming the barrier of autism. And I, I, I got to tell you, it just tore me up when I watched it. And uh, such a great, I don't know, heartwarming. It was more of, a, I guess this is my one personal pick that may not be a great documentary, may not be a great quality, but really, really touched me in a deep place when I watched it. Yeah, no, I definitely want to see this one. And I think out of the three of us, I think you're the only one that's seen it. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. And Roger, when you started with that intro about the movie, saying it's a documentary and it really touched you in a personal place, I kept thinking, please say tickled. Please say tickled. I hope you're talking about tickled. When you see tickled, you're going to find this funny that I'm saying this now. Uh, I, I'm marking it, Adam, right now that I need to go see tickled. So that's my number 10 film. It's Life Animated. And uh, check it out. It's playing on Netflix, I think, right now, or one of the streaming services you can go see it. All right. So I guess it's my turn for number 10. My number 10 movie is American Honey. I know that may be higher on some people's list, such as life. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I, I had it originally lower, uh, and then me and Adam had a conversation about it, and it moved up my list a little bit. The reason being is um, he brought up a good point that I, I don't know if I want to run out and watch it again um, right now. It's long. I think it's overly long. Um, Maybe an hour long. Uh, a lot yeah, of no, it's it's three hours. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, there is a lot of nothing um, in it, um, but it's kind of like as my mom calls things a little slice of life movie. Now, whether or not you agree with that slice of life is another thing. Um, whether or not you think it has a positive or negative impact on society is another thing. Um, but it is a slice of life. And I think, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, revisiting this as a snapshot of where society is, I think would be a good thing. 
Um, for those of you that don't know, essentially follows a girl named Star. Um, kind of, you know, poverty, taking care of kids that aren't hers, uh, living in Oklahoma. Um, she gets recruited to join um, a group of young kids, essentially, young adults, I guess. They have to be over the age of 18. Um, selling magazine subscriptions across the Midwest. Uh, she gets recruited by Jake, who's played by Shia LaBeouf. And he's good in this. He, wow. He's, sh- no, now, he's now, good. Now, when I sat no, down really here, good. I'm going to be honest with you. When I sat down here tonight, if you'd have told me a Shia LaBeouf movie made our top ten, I'd have been surprised. But American Honey was not on my wheelhouse. I, it's not something I've heard of. So it's. Uh, I, I will say this. Um, I haven't seen a ton of Shia LaBeouf stuff. Um, but, you know. Every time I hear he's in a movie, I get Indiana Jones 4, like, twitches and go, I, man, I just don't know if I can do that or not. Uh, and I watched this one, and he, he was great in it. I just flat out, he was great in it. Um, I can't remember the actress that plays Star. Do you know who that is by chance, Adam? You probably have it pulled up. Yeah, it's Sasha Lane. She is great as well. Yeah, you're going to see more of her. She was a real find for this movie. Yeah, that chemistry between her and Shia is evident on screen. Um, and it plays kind of that way throughout the whole movie. Um, it's just kind of the it's just kind of the story of a girl finding her way in the world, you know. And sure. Uh, the way it's shot is is raw and real. Um, it doesn't feel like anything's contrived. Um, for the most part in the movie and it it's I I thought it was good. It made my list. Um, awesome. I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's too long. I probably wouldn't go out and watch it again, but I would recommend everyone to watch it and then let some time pass and then go watch it again. Cool. All right. Excellent. <clears throat> All right. So that's everyone's number 10. So now we'll start with Roger. Roger, what is your number nine movie? Well, I guarantee you my number nine is not on either one of your two's list. I would be willing to bet a dinner that this movie is not on either of your top ten lists. But I will stand behind this movie because it was a great experience for me at the theater. This is, an an, this is not an animated film, but yet it is an animated film. Um, directed by John Favreau, starring Neil Sethi. Ben Kingsley, and the innumerable Bill Murray. And this is The Jungle Book. And the reason it made my top 10 was it is hands down, by far, the very best 3D experience I have ever had in a movie theater. I, I can't even, I saw it twice, I went back and saw it a second time. Is, is the acting great? Is it going to win Oscars for that? Absolutely not. But it's a fun film. It took me back to my childhood and it's just literally eye candy. It is breathtaking film. And so uh, it, it cracked into my top 10 when I started really thinking about movies that really wowed me. And I was like, wow, that's just because I'm not a 3D fan. I don't like 3D movies generally. But this one was well worth seeing. Any movie I go see and pay to see twice in the theater is a pretty good movie for me. So my number nine is The Jungle Book. Oh, go ahead, Adam. I mean, I like this movie, too. I didn't see it in the theater. I, I caught it at home. Um, I was not thrilled at the announcement that Disney was going to basically remake their entire catalog live action. We're getting Beauty and the Beast next, and then I think Mulan. So they're going to have a few duds. 
But Jungle Book was definitely good. Favreau's back. He's been back since Chef. He had a few struggles. Uh, Jungle yeah. Book was great. I look forward to whatever he's doing next. I, and, you know, Adam, I guess maybe I'm a little bit more – I guess I'm going to be the eternal optimist on the podcast. I am very excited about these remakes. I'm, I mean, I look at Beauty, – Beauty and the Beast is my all-time favorite Disney animated film. It's my number one. If I had to rate my – if we ever do a podcast, your top ten Disney animated films – Beauty and the Beast, I, I just saw it at a time in my life where I just like, wow, they did this on screen, and it just blew me away, and I just loved the story, loved the music, loved the actors in it, everything I loved about it. So I think I would be like the worst critic of a live, you know, a live, you know, showing of it, you know, a non-animated showing. And so when I saw the trailer, I was stoked. I was like, this looks great. I can't wait to see what they do with this. I will tell you, I when it first came out, I was skeptical. I will say I haven't seen the movie, and I'll explain why I haven't seen the movie. So um, Adam mentioned in the intros that I have a son. He's three and a half. Um, He has seen movies. He's probably seen movies he probably shouldn't have seen. Um, However, um, Jungle Book is one of the – we have trailer time, at least twice a week in my house when new trailers drop on iTunes or Adam comes in, and and we'll sit down. And the ones that he can watch – um, I'll let him watch. Um, I saw the Jungle Book, played it for him, and everything was fine because he's seen the cartoon Jungle Book, loves it. But it came down to who is it? Idris Alba that plays Shere Khan. That the first trailer that came out when it came down that you know he's smelling man flesh or whatever. He literally like crawled up and snuggled in, and I was like, that's too much. Like it just got oh, yeah. too real. <laughs> Shere Khan is not messing around in this movie. No. Yeah. So um, I want to see it with him. Um, I probably will go see it. I probably will see it sometime um, just so I can gauge how old he has to be before he can watch it. Sure. Um, But I knew there was no rush in it, so I didn't hop out and go check it out. Well, you know, normally... You know, I, I'm a story guy in movies. I want a great story. I want good acting, and that and, and I can overlook even some special effects and different things if they're not perfect or whatever. But there are a few movies. Life of Pi was another one that blew me out of the water visually. Just I just thought was incredible, and the Jungle Book was it. And so because of that made my top ten list. All right, so now uh, round to my turn. Uh, my number nine is. Hell or high water. Um, so essentially, uh, I have two favorite genres of films I've come to find out in my life. First one being uh, British gangster films, and <laughs> yes. the second one being uh, good westerns. And I don't know if I would call this a western in the truest sense, but if there's a term such as like neo western, I think it fits for this. Yeah, and it's almost a heist flick, too. Yeah, no, it is. Um, well, I mean, of course it is. They're robbing banks. Yeah, and and it's a brother's movie. It, it's, it's a it, brother's movie. It's well-paced. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with the pick, um, as you'll probably see and hear in the future. <laughs> Bridges, I like. Um, uh, I, I wish I could understand him a little bit more. Um, but um, overall, I like, I like the brother's relationship. I like the dialogue in it. Um, it, it just pushed a lot of the buttons I need for a movie, um, especially since I saw it. Uh, I probably saw it later 
than everybody else. I saw it over Christmas um, when I was visiting parents and my dad. Um, if it's not a Western or has John Wayne in it or Clint Eastwood, it doesn't get shown <laughs> in the house. Um, and he had actually been wanting to see this. And with more of the family there, he could convince himself to pay the whatever four ninety nine cost it was to rent it. And we all sat down and watched it, and there were screaming kids. So I probably didn't get to pay as much attention to it as I would have liked. Um, probably maybe a little higher if I could have paid more attention. I mean, I, I paid attention to it. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, I would like to sit down with it and have another viewing and, and see where it ended up. Yeah, there's an article I'm going to publish on our website tomorrow. Uh, filmcoterie.com, where I'm listing out some movie options that you can stream over the weekend. Hell or High Water is on that list. Uh, yeah. When I saw this movie, I don't think there's a wasted scene in the movie. It's, tut- it's cut extremely tight. The story's great. I like the gradual closing of the net that Bridges is doing around the characters. Their world is shrinking yeah. as he's moving yep. in on their location. Yep, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree as a top ten pick. I think it's a great one, Matt. All right, Adam, what is your number nine? My number nine is The Witch. And if you had asked me earlier in the year where Witch would have ended up on my top ten list, I wouldn't have guessed it would have fallen this far, which is a testament to just the amount of good movies this year. The Witch is from Robert Eggers, I believe. Let me look. I should know this. I think that's right. Yeah, I, I'm good. actually ashamed of you that you don't know this like by heart. I got it. It's Robert Eggers. <laughs> I was right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, this is the guy's first movie. I don't think I've ever seen a more confident first movie ever made by someone. It's a hard subject matter. I mean, it's 1600s New England. Oh, yeah. Um, old English. And, I mean, it's a family going into the woods, and there's a dark thing in the woods. And they start paying a bad price for leaving the safety of civilization. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about the story. Um, I think you're best going into this cold. I recommend it to everyone I see. Yep. And I've gotten good re- feedback from everyone that's seen it that's come back to me and said, man, I really like The Witch. Except one friend. Well, may- maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that friend isn't me. No, um, no, no. We may be hearing about this movie a little <coughs> later on uh, from me. Uh, and, and I'll just say, there was a time The Witch was on my top ten list. Um, I think, it, you know, here's a guy who does not like horror films. Even though... I'm coming to find out that I like, I, there are certain kind of horror films I really like, and The Witch is one of them. When Adam told me this was a first-time director, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the, the pacing of the film, the way he moves the camera, I, my, I think my second question, or first question to you was, who was the DP or cinematographer on this film? It's beautifully shot. Uh, shot very inexpensively because there's you know two locations and then mm-hmm. the, the woods the the farmhouse and then a, a two minute scene at the beginning of the movie for the for the townsfolk you know that kind of deal and it is a great story it is it is there is so much I need to write I I do a blog called faith and film doc, at, at faith and film dot blog called faith and film and I need to really write about the witch because there is so much. So many spiritual themes going on within this movie that that really need to be told, uh, and I don't want to spoil it either. But I think Adam hit it on the head when he said, "A family out of the father's piousness decides they can be more holy if they're separate from the community." They view civilization as almost evil, yeah, as and corrupting and corrupting. Absolutely, 
And they head out into the woods, and lo and behold, they find something in the woods. And uh, wow, what a ride. I thought, I thought it was a very engaging film. I have friends, good friends that live in the New, New Hampshire, New England area, and they know a lot of the history uh, about stuff that goes on. And I'll just say this. Um, there's what you learn about in the school books about, you know, the Salem witch trials and all of that. And then there's the stuff you don't learn about in the school books that is legend and story that is told about real stuff going down in the woods in New England. And so uh, I highly, I would highly recommend if you're a fan of um, uh, good versus evil and these kind of themes, it's a very harrowing film to watch. I mean, there's some there's a couple scenes in the movie that I, I was like, oh, oh, I, oh, that's just tough. I just can't hardly watch that, you know. And I would recommend watching the preview. The preview kind of sets you up what to expect. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just say a baby goes missing early in this film, yeah. and the film wants to show you that, you know, it's it's going to play it pretty serious from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a great pick, Adam. I'm on board 100% with The Witch. And I'm excited. I mean, I think we're entering a very good era of horror. Um with VOD available, we're going to see a lot more picks, a lot more accessibility than the usual churn that we get from studios with Slashers and Insidious 7 and Conjuring 14. Um, Witch is up there. I'd also tell people to check out The Babadook. It follows. We have a lot of really good, unique horror coming out, so hopefully we keep seeing more of it. Yeah, and with the, you know, if you guys are interested in... Uh, horror movies to watch that are just you know not force fed to you with the hundred million commercials on TV. Uh, write into us, you know, contact the show, friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, let us know you want to hear more, and we, we would love to dedicate a segment of the show to maybe a horror spotlight. What some good films you can see. So, all right, so that was each of our uh, number nine films of 2016. So now we're up to number eight, uh, and I get to lead it all. And I can pretty much guarantee that none of you will have this film on your list at number eight. I, I will guarantee it. Not pretty much. I will go out on a limb and say I guarantee. Uh, the reason being is that I believe that in any list there are good movies. One where the acting's great, pacing's great, great acting, you know, hits everything that are meant to, are meant to win awards. Right? There are films that are just meant to win awards. Uh, and then there are films that are just meant to be fun. And when someone tries to make a fun film and they get it right, I, I'm smiling as I'm saying this because I'm thinking about watching this movie. I've, I've seen this movie a ton. Why? Because if I'm flipping through channels and it's on HBO and I have nothing else to watch, I'll just leave it on. Why? Because I know it's going to make me smile. Uh, so my number eight is Deadpool. Um, I cannot tell you how happy I was to watch this movie. Um, I wish it wasn't rated R so I could show it to my son. And I'm also really glad that it's rated R um, so he can watch it when he's a little bit older and hopefully be blown away by it. So I, I know this was a passion of Ryan Reynolds. He wanted to get this done. Budgets got He went so sworn. far as to leak test footage. Y yes. No, absolutely. Leak test. I mean... If there was ever an actor that wanted to make a movie, it was him saying, hey, I can play this character, I can do this right, and they did. Well, don't forget, he actually wanted to make amends for playing Deadpool in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yes. yes, and for those of you that, you know, you're, you're listening to this, watch movies, you may not be a comic book geek, 
Uh, I'm not a huge comic book geek, but I know about Deadpool, right? So essentially, uh, I'm not typically never a fan of when a movie breaks a fourth wall. Uh, for those of you who don't know, look it up. Um, but uh, Deadpool's meant to break fourth walls. Deadpool is a character that is more than a character. He is self-aware. He knows that he is a character. And he's all right with that. And the movie does all of that justice. It gets the fact that he's the merc with the mouth. He's always wisecracking. And it's always funny. Um, at least to me. It may not be that for everyone. I mean, it, the movie's kind of, it's kind of foul. Uh, I'm, you know, there's no getting around that. But it's Deadpool, and it should be. And it's refreshing in the, the glut of superhero movies we're getting. It, it stands alone. Um, just for kind of the irreverent tone it has. Sure. He doesn't save the world, which is nice. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. He saves the girl. The That's... hooker with the heart of gold. Yeah, the hooker with the heart of gold. Uh, you know, and I guess I come down. I'm a little cooler on Deadpool, to be honest with you. Um, I don't have a problem. For one, let me just say it this way. I, 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 don't, I knew nothing about the comic books. So I had no frame of reference coming in. And I'm expecting a superhero movie you know that's what i it's my anticipation and i thought the opening two minutes of the movie was incredible i i'm i'm thinking oh we're going on a ride here with the way they you know they stopped the crash scene and then it's all and then it just turned into what i thought was sophomore humor and it was very unappealing to me you know um and so i'm a little cooler on it i, I liked i liked what they were trying to do and i liked the um uh i liked the, some of the action scenes, and I liked—I generally kind of liked the way Ryan Reynolds played the character, his attitude and stuff. I don't know. It just—I thought to myself, I, my first reaction walking out of the theater was, and this is probably the opposite reaction of you guys. I know it is, but my first reaction was, you know, if they had just cleaned that movie up just a hair and tweaked the story, they could have had a huge home run here. That was just my reaction, you know. And it's like, but we had to push for an R-rated to get that college-age audience, you know. That was my feeling coming out of the movie. So I guess I'm a little cooler on Deadpool. And I know I'm totally in the minority because I've got tons of friends. I've got tons of friends that just sing this movie's praise, you know. I know all my friends that are listening to this podcast are going to be like, Roger, I can't believe you didn't love Deadpool. But I just, I just really didn't connect with me. And was it the highest box office of any R-rated movie ever? Yeah, and it came out on Valentine's Day, so it was yeah. perfect counter-programming. No, it, it, it was. <laughs> and, I mean, the fact that they even came out with, like, love story posters for Deadpool. And it even starts out, oh, you told your girlfriend you were going, you know, see a love story. I mean, it just, it worked. It worked for me yeah, on I, a bunch of different levels. I can totally respect that. So, Roger, are you going to line up for Deadpool 2 next year? Or two years from now, whenever they get it made, yeah, probably because we'll probably go on a Thursday night, and we'll probably have to review it. So I probably will. I, yeah, maybe I don't know. I, yeah, I, I probably will. Enough said. Well, like I said, I knew it wasn't going to be on other people's <laughs> list, but there it is. I like it, Deadpool. So Adam, what is your number eight movie of twenty sixteen? Uh, my number eight is Captain Fantastic by Matt Ross. Um, if you don't know, Matt actually played Albie on Big Love. I was surprised to find out that he had directed this movie. I didn't know he was a director. He's also on Silicon Valley as Gavin, the head of that fake Google company. Hooli? Yes, Hooli. Yeah. I'm shocked Captain Fantastic worked for me. Um, I was a little bit cool on it from the previews. It looked kind of like a traditional 
too indie to be indie movie where we're going to make a wild and wacky family out in the woods. But it has a ton of heart. Um, I really like the family dynamic they capture in this movie with him and his kids. Um, early on in the movie, he's left alone with the kids. Something happens to his wife, and the rest of the family starts bearing down on him. Uh, grandparents and some others, and they're forced to leave their perfect little jungle existence, Robinson Crusoe, and venture into the world, and the kids are aliens to this world. You know, they've lived out in the woods their entire lives. They've not had fast food. They've had a very untraditional upbringing. Yeah, and the clash of those two cultures, those two ways of living, those two viewpoints on life uh, worked very well in the film, I think. Yeah, I've seen this movie, um, but I'm probably going to reserve most of my comments. I liked it actually better than Adam liked it. Um, oh, I liked it. Yeah, no, I, it's higher on my list. That's probably because I haven't seen most of the movies you have above this. Um, however, um, I have it higher on my list. I'm not even going to talk about it a lot then because I may talk about it much more in the last segment that we have sure. in, in the yeah. uh, show. So. And uh, you'll find this appearing on my list as well, so I was a big fan as well. All right. Well, Vigo Mortensen plays the dad, a.k.a. Captain Fantastic, and he's really good in this movie. He doesn't act very often anymore. Um, I think back to Eastern Promises and some of the stuff he's made after Lord of the Rings, but he's pretty uniformly great in most of the stuff he does. Um, he definitely must have an interesting process for choosing his scripts. Yeah. Um, I like that this movie presents both the strengths and weaknesses of this sort of untraditional parenting. It doesn't just say that this was right for the kids, but it also doesn't say that this type of parenting was really bad for them. Um, I think it strikes a fine line there. And if you haven't seen it, I mean, I, I would highly recommend checking out this movie. Awesome. I think that's, I think it's a great pick. Yep. Uh, I would agree. Uh, and like I said, it's higher on my list. So I would say anyone to go get it. If you have children, I would definitely go see it. Um, Adam doesn't even have kids and he likes it. So yeah, it wasn't for me and I liked it. Yeah. Um, so now uh, we are to Roger, your number eight movie of 2016. Okay. My number eight uh, movie for 2016. And this movie really surprised me. I, you know, Adam corralled me about a year or so ago, maybe the end of 2015, to start coming out on Thursday nights. And this was an early movie in 2016 that we went and saw. I think it was a January movie, if not maybe February. And I was really surprised um, that it was so high. It, and it's, um, well, let me just say it, it's 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I was really surprised that I would get into this movie the way I did. Um, Dan Trachtenberg, I think, is this his first movie he directed? I think he's a first-time director. and um, But the cast is what sold me on this movie. I mean, John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, John Gallagher. John Goodman was just amazing. He was a, a, something to behold on the screen. And they saved their budget for the special effects when it was needed. If you don't know about Tin Cloverfield Lane, and I, and I went into this movie not really knowing the whole mysterious Cloverfield, you know, thing that's going on here. And I just really liked, I liked the story. It's, it's mysterious. The guy runs down, you know, this, this woman's driving a car. She has an accident and she wakes up in, and she wakes up in a, in a, you know, bomb shelter in a farmhouse way down underneath the ground with, with this crazy John Goodman character that says all the whole world's been poisoned with the disease and we're going to have to live down here for years. And you, you're left with the question the whole time: Is this, is this, is he crazy? Is he true? Is this right? 
And then you, you know, I don't want to spoil a lot if you haven't seen it, but wow. I mean, the story really, you know, I, the whole time I'm watching this film, I'm thinking this film won't pay off at the end. This film's going to just run. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And I'm jumping a little bit and it's got me, I'm tense. I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm thinking there's no payoff. And it freaking pays off at the end. I mean, the movie comes home in a big way. And I was like, yes, what a great movie. And I, I would have not have went to see this film if Adam hadn't said, no, this is what we're going to go see, you know. Uh, so I'm glad he recommended it and I got to see it. And so my number eight is 10 Cloverfield Lane. I've had this debate before. Do you think the movie works without the Cloverfield tie-in? Oh, yeah, because I, ha I have no connection to Cloverfield. You see what I'm saying? I didn't see the original movie cam Cloverfield, you know, that was made. I didn't even I didn't even know till I started doing a little bit of I always try to do a little bit of homework before we go see a movie. Because I don't want to go in cold, you know. And uh, and then it just so happened. Here's what else that I knew that it was gonna be good buzz. So I, I if you haven't noticed, I'm a podcast kind of nerd. I like podcasts. I listen to a bunch of podcasts. And several of my, the podcasts that I listen to are in that sci-fi fantasy nerdy video game those kind of podcasts you know and they were all talking like hey our buddy dan trachtenberg isn't it great to see that he made it oh it's so cool to see that dan made a movie so i don't know what this guy's story arc is but he sounded like one of us you know that did finally got to make a movie and he hit a home run you know mm -hmm. and so i loved the movie i'd highly recommend it so uh, my, what is it, number eight? Yes, my number eight is 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, it didn't make my list, but I would recommend it to anyone. And I, I think it works without the Cloverfield. You don't even need to see the first one. You can see this one. It's, unfortunately, this is one of the movies that I missed this year. I'll probably catch up with it sometime, but I just haven't had the chance to see it yet. Um, so now we are to Adam for number seven. What is your number seven movie of 2016 at? My number seven is a repeat, but I will briefly sing its praises. Uh, American Honey. Um, Matt already discussed it pretty well. It's a minor miracle that this movie worked out as well as it did. Andrea Arnold, the director, hopped into a van with a bunch of young actors, set off across the country, and just captured tons of footage on handheld camera. Um, I don't know how much was scripted. I know there was some improv. It is too long, but there is a story there. It's nice to see uh, a girl escaping her confines of her life and having this new chance to sort of explore the world, see more of it, and turn into an adult. I mean, she really changes kind of from a girl to an adult in this movie. Yeah, the, the one thing that got me uh, with this is, so, you know, all these kids are in a van, they're driving between cities, and they're all saying where they're from. Um, it kind of hit me that there were like two people from West Virginia in there, you know, as the backward state that we, you know, are, I guess. Um, I've since moved to, on to better, bigger and better places. Um, but they pull into Kansas City. One of the things that struck me, you know, we were talking about that slice of life and mm -hmm. these kids in the car, they, they drive into Kansas City and they're all like, these buildings are so big, they're so big. Uh, plus, uh, on a other side, a um, lot more male nudity in that movie than I was anticipating. Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying a lot more male nudity than I thought there would be. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to touch that topic, but uh, <laughs> I will say this is a movie I look forward to coming back in a decade or so. I mean, it just captures such a youthful moment. Mm. Um, and you can just, I mean, it's a journey. 
and just seeing the energy. There's definitely a very positive energy about this movie. They go through some bad stuff, but nothing's ever too bad. You always go on to the next town. Yeah, I, I mean, if you believe that, like, theft isn't a bad thing. They're not making the best decisions. You're right. They're not. Um, I, I think I think the reason it's not higher for me on my list, right, because, like I said, Shia LaBeouf in this movie is awesome. Uh, the actress that plays Star is awesome. That chemistry works. Um, is It's just... I'm not uplifted when I watch... I mean, there's an upbeat tone to the movie, but... At the end of the day, if that is the slice of life that our culture is, it doesn't say a lot of good things about our culture. I think that's the, the overriding problem I have with that. When, you know, when I think about you know, what's it saying about the youth culture in America, if that is what it is, um, I'm not really encouraged. <laughs> not excited. I get that. I get that. And I, of course, didn't see it, so I'll kind of pass. Yeah. All right, so um, Roger, what was your number seven movie? Well, you know, my, my list fluctuated a lot, and I went back and forth, and this probably is the one mainstream film by far that broke into my top ten. Uh, it is a superhero movie, and it is Doctor Strange. And uh, I'm going to tell you one thing. I, I, I went into Doctor Strange thinking, I'm not going to like this movie. I don't know anything about Doctor Strange. I you know, I, I'm one of these people. I'm still asking myself, when it, when is when is Marvel going to crash, and when is, when are we going to get superhero film bloat? And you know, so I went in really thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Tilda Swinton is some kind of ninja guru teacher, and I thought, I, and I'm telling you one thing, I loved this movie. It might be my favorite favorite Marvel movie of all time. I loved the theme. I loved the fantasy nature of it. I thought Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch was amazing in it. I thought Tilda Swinton was amazing in it. When she, and this is a spoiler thing, but when he finally, when he finally finds her, and he's, he starts off this highfalutin doctor that's got the world in his hands, and he's like a, he's like a, he's like a, a demigod. He's a small, you know, he's, he's a creator and a fixture of life, and he gets completely stripped. And when she takes her hand and says, no, the real you, and she strikes his chest and his spirit comes out of him, I got chills. I mean, I got chills all over my body. I was like, oh my gosh, this movie is amazing. And so I love Dr. Strange. And probably, I know it probably didn't make either one of you guys' list. And I know it was a big, huge, big budget, mainstream film. I loved it. It's, it's, I'm going to say it's probably... Either that or Winter Soldier is my number one, my, my favorite, you know, the Marvel movies. I loved Doctor Strange. Well, let's talk about those visuals. When they announce you're making a Doctor Strange movie, you know it has to be trippy. You know you're going to be seeing some things you haven't seen before. How do you think they handled that? Well, not having a frame of reference, not knowing Doctor Strange, I went in thinking, wow, this is really cool. This is different. This is not your normal fare. I'd like to kind of see where this goes, where this develops, you know. So I liked the trippy nature, that kind of, that, that I don't want to call it a British vibe that it had, but, you know, that kind of like, I don't know. It worked for, all I can say is it worked for me. Yeah, I like the bending buildings. And near totally. the end, we go to a universe that looks like a velvet painting in black light. And that works. That's Doctor Strange. I enjoyed this movie, too. It didn't make my top ten list, but I would recommend it. And it... I know we keep saying it, but it was refreshing just to get a nice little change of gear in a comic book movie that this offered. Uh, again, 
Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, this is. I don't want to admit this on on this, but I I have yet to see Doctor Strange. No, that, that dude, I totally get it. it's fine, man. Um, all right, so I guess we're to my number seven. Yep. Um, here's probably another movie that's not on any of your lists, but it hits my buttons, and that would be Midnight Special. Um, from the moment I saw the trailer for this movie, I had to see it. I don't know what it was. There was a small boy shooting light out of his eyes. Yeah. <clears throat> Even the, the box art, essentially, for this thing, with the little boy under the covers, flashlight in hand, reading a book with glowing eyes, I had to see this. Um, and then I find out it had Michael Shannon in it, uh, and then I found out it was written directed by Jeff Nichols. Neil before Shannon. <laughs> and uh, then I knew I had to see it. So uh, for me, uh, just a little bit about the movie. Uh, so essentially, uh, it's about um, a character by the name of Roy Tomlin, uh, played by Michael Shannon. Um, and uh, his friend. Uh, the movie opens with him and his friend in a hotel room watching an Amber Alert about his son that they have in the hotel room. Doesn't pull any punches with how it starts, not slow into it. It just opens up. There they are in the hotel room, and you're going, what's going on? And then you come to find out that they were part of, well, Mike, Michael Shannon's character was part of a religious cult. Um, and pretty much they believed that his son had special powers uh, that when you looked at him uh, would allow you to have visions and uh, receive scripture and things like that. Um, they're being chased. They're being chased by an FBI agent uh, played by Adam Driver, um, who's really good in this. Um, and uh, it's essentially, to me, it was, what would you do for your kid? What would you leave behind for your kid? What would you give up? Um, and it was even not just, you know, what would a dad do? Um, but, um, you know, his father's friend, Lucas, who is played by Joel, and I will get his name messed, Edgerton? Yeah, yeah Edgerton. Is that close enough? Edgerton, yeah. Um, who's really good in this movie as well. Um you know, he, I guess, is, I don't know if it ever says he looked into the boy's eyes, but he was willing to give up everything and help this boy's father take him to a location. Uh, and you may be wondering, all right, kidnapped child, being chased by the FBI. But this is where it goes, um, homage to maybe E.T. or Close Encounters. The Amblin movies, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's spouting all these things and their locations and codes of NSA satellites and things like that. Um, so you get this nice overriding sci-fi feel without really beating you over the head with it. It's always kind of this underlying, it's more about trying to get away and the boy brings down satellites. And um, for me, I, I don't need movies wrapped up in a nice little bow. And it kind of was, but kind of wasn't. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the end, but it was satisfying to me. It was it was a good ending, and I don't need a happy ending. And it wasn't truly happy, but it, I think it was the right ending. So I think when I got done, it left a good taste in my mouth, and I enjoyed it beginning to end. 
Um, Kirsten Dunst is also in it, who is great in it. Um, earlier in her career, I was never a big fan. She was doing the bigger movies, playing the you know young high school stuff. But uh, as her career has gone on, I think she's really blossomed uh, as an actress, and I thought she was really good in this as well. So yeah, you, you know, you mentioned this film, and oh man, this is a, this is one of my disappointments for me, not because I didn't get to see this film, no. not because I thought. Uh, I, I, I listened to another podcast, uh, some film critics I really like, and they went on on and on and on about the film. And it's my one regret is I didn't get to see Midnight Special in 2016. And I, I'll, I guess I'll try to catch it when it's out on video or streaming or whatever. Um, because, yeah, it, it hit those same kind of notes. That the same, the, Just the description of it, I was like, wow, this is really good. I'd love to see this, you know. So, yeah, unfortunately, I have to check my coterie card at the door. I didn't get to see Midnight Special. And I'll say this, too. Um, Midnight Special's from Jeff Nichols, and you need to check out Take Shelter. It was the movie he did before this. Uh, with Michael Shannon. With Michael Shannon. Neil before Shannon. Um, and that's worth a watch, too. And how about Adam Driver? Man, the guy's popping up. I mean, he's really starting to show up in films and stuff, well, this you know? Was actually before he was in the Star Wars movies? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, you got Star Wars, you got Silence, you got Midnight Special, Patterson, Patterson, yeah. I mean, he's really he's, he's coming on. No, I think he's I think he's really good. I think he's really good in this movie. I and I actually really like his character in this movie because he's the FBI agent tasked with hunting them down. And the only real sympathetic character on that side. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And he turns into a believer. I mean, at the end, he actively works against the government to help them out. Wow. Um, and it's, it's, I don't know, that transformation of, and it was just because he understood that this boy was different and shouldn't be hunted just because you're different. Uh, and then something very profound was going on with him that, you know, normal humans could not do, I guess. So, um, again, trying to walk the fine line of not giving too much away. But that is my number seven movie of 2016. Uh, so now we are to number six, and we'll be starting with Roger. So, Roger, what is your number six film of 2016? Well, it's a film that's already been mentioned, and so I won't spend a lot of time here. It's a film that I found by accident, I think, on Netflix. I did not see it in the theater, um, but the music value alone of this film is amazing, and it is Sing Street. I loved this movie. It, for the longest time, it was in my top five and then I saw another movie that bumped it out to number six. Um, I just, again, I grew up in the 80s. I was a teenager in the 80s. I was, I knew what it was when music videos were huge. It was everything. MTV was the number one place you went for music. Um, you know, and the videos they put out and, and everybody wanted to have a band in high school. And, and I just loved, I just loved this movie. I loved that it was a brother's pic a picture about two brothers and the honesty, I have never seen two brothers played more honestly on the screen than I have in Sing Street. They didn't overplay their hand, I think, not one time. There was a scene where the brothers have a big blow up. And you think in a, in a typical Hollywood movie, they're going to try to clean this up and bring resolution to it by some kind of, they're either going to talk it out or something's going to happen. And the next time you see them together, they're like, hey, hey. And they're 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 like brothers. They're just they they've moved on past the fight, you know. Loved Sing Street. I loved the theme, the music. I one of the best endings of, of a movie in 2016 that I have seen by far. 
Um, and, and it was on Made Adam's List, and he really talked about it much more eloquently than I have. But uh, I love Sing Street, and that is my number six movie of 2016. I will reserve comments because this is still on my list, and we have yet to get to it on my <laughs> list. So um, I'll hold my comments until we get there. Fair it, enough. It may be coming up pretty soon. Fair enough. Um, so now my number six movie, um, it's already been mentioned once. I didn't say a lot about it, so now I will. Uh, and that is The Witch. Uh, I like horror. Not like Adam likes horror movies. Uh, I don't like torture porn movies. I don't like splatter movies. Um, I'll watch them and enjoy them if they're good. Um, but I really like the darker, supernatural, you know, no real hope of, of overcoming something. Um, I like Lovecraft. Um, you know, anyone familiar with his writings know that it's, it's you're just depressed uh, <laughs> when you're done reading it. And there's, you know, there's no hope and madness abounds. And this movie hit all the buttons for me. Um, I wasn't going to come out and say it. Uh, I was going to give you a little quote, but I'll give that to you now just as an example. I understand people had some issue with the language because it is 16th century old English because you're talking about first generation Americans. This film is about a family who started in England. Yeah. Braved the ocean to come over to a new world and wanted to conquer that world, you know, for religious reasons, especially this family, for religious, they wanted that religious freedom, wanted to conquer the world. As Adam mentioned, he was prideful. <clears throat> but people have had, uh, you know, I don't understand the language. I, bit, I grew up on BBC TV, on PBS, so it doesn't bother me, that more British tilt. But I just want to read this quote, and this is why one of the reasons why I love this movie. Um, and it is, what dost thou want? What canst thou give? Wouldst thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress? Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? That is great dialogue. I don't care if it has the wouldst, canst, whatever. That yeah. is great. I don't care what movie that's in. The fact that it's lived, wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Mm -hmm. That oh, yeah. is, that is wonderful. And... <clears throat> You know, Adam mentioned that there's this, you know, pride aspect, but there's also this kind of seven deadly sins feel to it. Absolutely. Um, I, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it now that I'm talking about, it should probably be higher on my list because I'll probably watch it again and again and again. Um, but I have a tendency to wear out movies like this. I like more of a mental mind game horror film than. You know, like I said, the slashers or anything like that. So, and I don't know if I said this, but this is a movie that rewards repeat viewing. Um, once you get to take it in fully once, when you go back that second time, you're going to catch some new things. Um, and I like the ending. The ending goes for it, and I always want that in a horror movie. Oh yeah, the ending. I mean, there's a lot of horror. There's a lot of horror movies like this that I think the first horror movie like this I ever saw. That caught me on down this path because, you know, like I said, I grew up in West Virginia. I didn't have HBO. Our hometown had one movie theater with two screens that would play anything that was PG so it could get all the teenagers' money in on the weekends. It wouldn't play anything risque, you know, no, uh, no Jasons, no Freddies growing up. Um, 
but when I was in college, I watched In the Mouth of Madness one that, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a Cthulhu-esque, not blood and guts, but more of a mental game. And while that movie's not great, um, it had a payoff at the ending that was wonderful. And I appreciate horror films that do that. And this movie was good from, I mean, it jumps right in. Parents, you know, family has issue with the, the plantation and off they go. Oh, and yeah. hardship ensues. Yeah, and, and you know, um, I'll, I'll make two two quick comments about this um, this movie. Uh, you know, I came from a family in an upbringing that w- the King James Bible was read on a regular basis in our home, so I was used to the these and the thous and wouldest thou and and, and whither and all and and even watching a lot of British films and TV and stuff. So that never put me off at all. The language was no barrier at all. There was some controversy around the ending on this film. I, you know, I heard some some different people dialoguing on podcasting that they didn't like the ending of this film because it it took it in a direction. I don't even want to say. I, I don't yeah. even want to say, but it took it in a direction where they went for it. Yeah. And you had to be all in, and you had to really believe what was happening here. That it wasn't maybe necessarily just all in their minds. If and that's all, all I really want to say, without spoiling the movie. Well, no, but I appreciate it for that, right? I mean, it could have easily have ended. All right, I don't think this is given too much away by saying the the title of the film is The Witch. Yes. Right? So the idea that, that you know, I think the time frame it said, I think, harkens back to that era of Salem Witch Trials and things like that. And I think the director even admitted he researched Mm-hmm. back to those trials and the events that were going on in Cotton Mathers at the time and and looked at all this. And I appreciate, you know, and I think everyone's conclusion historically is that um, essentially everyone in Salem was tripping on acid, right? I mean, I, there was probably moldy bread, ergot, wheat germ, and they were all hallucinating. And that's why there was a lot of Salem witch trials. I don't know if that's consensus, but a lot of people believe that way. The devil's dance, too, right, with the convulsions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and this movie just says, yeah, no, that's not what was happening. Here's what was happening. <laughs> and I, I love it because I, I want that payoff in a horror film of, oh, this, yeah. of this kind. Um, so I liked it. It's my number six movie. Uh, so, Adam, what is your number six? Uh, we haven't talked about this one yet, so I have a feeling it's going to hit higher on your lists. My number six is Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, this is from the director that brought us the completely great What We Do in the Shadows. If you've not seen that movie, you need to check it out as soon as you can. It is a great movie, What We Do in the Shadows. So Hunt for the Wilder People is about Ricky Baker, and you're not going to forget that name anytime soon. He's got a great little birthday <laughs> jingle in this song that's sung a few times. And it, uh, yes. it'll get stuck in your head about Ricky Baker. Uh, Ricky is a child stuck in New Zealand children's services, just bounced out of house to house to house until he ends up with a couple on the fringes of society. Heck and his wife, whose name is escaping me. Oh, I don't know. Because it doesn't matter. She, because she may not be around in the movie. Right. Heck is not keen on Ricky Baker's adoption. Bella? Okay, so Bella. Bella is the one that wants to bring Ricky Baker into the home. Uh, unfortunate circumstances happen. Heck is left with Ricky, and they take off into the woods with Heck 
chasing Ricky because Ricky does not want to go back into the system. He's determined just to make a life for himself out in the woods because he thinks he can. He's a real gangster like that. <laughs> um, from there, more comical follies happen, and a national manhunt starts for the two of them with children's services and the park services and a bunch of other groups looking for him in the woods. This is one of the funniest movies I've seen this year. Um, everyone I know has liked it. My grandmother, of all people, went to see this, I think, three times in the theater. She's 90, I won't say her age. We'll just leave it at that. 90-something. 90-something. Love this movie. Older than you. <laughs> yes. Um, and she still talked about it. Um, I'll leave it some of this left, because I know you guys are going to be talking about yeah, this movie, too. Save it. Leave it, because yep. I can guarantee you it is... Spoiler, much, much, much higher on my list. <laughs> All right, that sounds great. And that was The Hunt for the Wilder People. Yep, so um, is it, have you done number six yet, Roger? I have lost track. Yes. So we've all done our, yes. our six. So. Um, so we are going to take a little break here, um, and then when we come back, we'll do uh, our five to one. Hi, this is Roger here. I just wanted to jump in here. Let you know, we're going to go ahead and end the podcast here. At our initial recording, it was almost three hours, and we thought it'd be best to break up the podcast into two episodes. Uh, the first episode covering the movie The Founder and our top 10 of 2016 movies 10 through 6. And then next week, we will gather together and we will cover um, our top five movies of 2016 in episode number two five through one, and then we will talk about our movie homework and our assignment and uh, how you can get involved with us uh, along those along those ways as well. Um, if you're interested in following us on Twitter, our handle is at Film Coterie, and you can find us on the web at filmcoterie.com. And if you're just wondering why we called ourselves the Film Coterie, the word coterie is simply defined as a group of people with shared interests or tastes especially one that is exclusive of other people. And um, we invite you to become a part of our coterie, people who enjoy movies that maybe are on the margin a little bit, maybe are, you don't always see in the mainstream of theater, maybe that are a little different than what you're going to get shoved at you from Hollywood. So uh, we invite you to become a part of our film coterie community, and we look forward to being with you next week.